www.ChuckyRadioMD.com. Better nutrition. Avoid diseases. Lose weight. Remove toxins. Feel better. That's clean eating. It's time for the Clean Food Network Show. Here's Lisa Davis. My daughter's going to be 12 soon. It's hard for me to believe. It seems like just the other day I was nursing her and making my own baby food. And oh my goodness, where did the time go? Well, I wish I had had this wonderful book, The Best Baby Food, 125 Healthy and Delicious Recipes for Babies and Toddlers. It is by Jill Hillhouse, who joins us now. Hello, Jill. Hello, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's so great to have you on. It is so important to get our kids off on the right foot when it comes to eating and what better way than to make the best baby food. So when did you first get interested in this? Really, as most people do, I got interested in it when I had children. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) that seems to be the starting point for a lot of us because while we like to eat healthy ourselves and we try and do that to the best of our ability, once we start to feed these little beings, we see how critically important food is for health. It really is. You know what I love? I love how the recipes in the book are broken down according to age. And you begin with six to nine months. So you have six to nine months, nine to 12 months, and toddlers to 12 months plus. And I'm reading some of the names, stewed leeks with butter, soft polenta with cheddar cheese and broccoli florets, Pacific salmon cakes. That's for the nine to 12 months. I'm thinking, I, can I have this? <laughs> it just sounds so lovely. <laughs> well, absolutely. And and while the book does start with first foods at for the six to nine age, everything in the book is for everybody in the family. And that is really an important message because we none of us want to be a short order cook for our kids. So if they eat, <laughs> if we eat the same foods they do, they eat the same foods we do um, all the way through their lives. It just works so much better for everybody. It is so true. So you mentioned that you started thinking about this when you had your own kids. So how did you get all the information that you needed? Because we're busy enough, right, when we first have a baby, and then you must have had to do a lot of research to put all these incredible recipes together. Talk to us about that experience. Well, I did have, I had a really big interest in nutrition. I think my mother started me off on that way back uh, when I was young, and she was making her own granola and her own yogurt and all of that kind of stuff. But really, once I had my children, I and started really reading labels in the store, I found that there were all sorts of additives and uh, fillers and things like that put into the foods, and I just thought that didn't seem like the best nutrition. And I know that I like to eat the whole foods and the variety and nutrient-dense foods, and I was seeing things like tapioca starch and potato starch and things that I knew intuitively weren't providing the best nutrition for my children. So... Yeah, the research started on my own at that time. I did end up going back to school for holistic nutrition after my children were in in school. So I did put a a sort of a a professional stamp on that later on. But the early part was my own research and, and working with what my children, the feedback my children were giving me in terms of their preference for the whole foods. Yeah, and the whole foods are so much better. And again, you're going to set them up to be healthier later in life. You know, I want to jump into some of the combos. You have grains and fruit, vegetable combos, legumes, meat combos. You have fruit and then vegetables. You have soups, grains, fish. You really reach from so many different sources. What was it like putting the recipes together? Was there a lot of trial and error? Tons of trial and error. And uh, as you know, you have children. 
when you're first starting them on foods, they need maybe a dozen times of exposure to certain tastes and certain textures to accept them. So you really have to keep trying and keep trying. So yes, there was a lot of testing, a lot of trial and error uh, in that. But that's so important because we develop our palate very early on. And we now know that if we're not exposed to certain foods, we can end up with um, uh, some allergy issues or things like that as we get older. So it, it is important to have a wide variety and a wide exposure when the children are little, um, but it does uh, lend itself to a lot of experimenting, that's for sure. You know, you just brought up allergies, which I was about to ask you about. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many children with allergies now. What are some concerns about introducing traditionally allergenic foods, and do you have any tips? Yeah, the the concerns have always been that at certain ages, we didn't introduce it. We waited to certain ages, rather, to introduce certain foods. It was sort of we waited till 12 months to introduce cow's milk or 24 months for eggs or even 36 months for fish and peanuts and things like that. But what they're finding is that there's really um, no evidence to support doing that. And in fact, many studies are now finding that it is a bit of a problem if we wait longer and we can actually reduce allergy incidence if we start some of these more traditionally allergenic foods between six and 10 months, which is really fascinating. Oh, that really is. I had never heard that before. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. And in fact, in 2008, the American Academy of Pediatrics really retracted those old guidelines. Um, And then in the last couple of years, the, the guidelines from the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, who do a ton of work here, are really introducing those earlier introductions, like introducing eggs at six months and introducing peanuts before the first year, which is really interesting and certainly much different than what has been going on for the last number of decades. Well, I know that for some uh, women, they find out that their baby has allergies because they're having trouble with the breast milk. And then the woman who's nursing will take the mother will take out dairy or take out eggs or something. And then the child's doing fine. I've noticed sometimes that shows up in eczema or other issues. And so I'm, it's interesting to see how that can work as well. It is. And, and, you know, there's not one way of doing it because we're all different. And even the babies are different. So if there are situations where just with nursing, there are uh, episodes of eczema and and colic and gastrointestinal upset, then yes, you have to look at the intake of the foods in the mother for sure. Um, But once the child starts to eat on their own, then unless the, the, the caution is unless there's a first degree relative like a sibling or a parent with an actual food allergy that is documented, then you're safe to start to try one food at a time. And certainly what we recommend in the book is you want to try one food at a time just to make sure that there aren't any big reactions. Yeah, exactly. Because if you have more than one, you'll be like, wait, what was it? Is it the peanut or was it the egg? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it can be confusing. Now let's talk about organic. You know, here on Clean Food Network, we want to encourage people to eat, you know, whole foods, organic foods to the best of their abilities, non-GMO foods. What do you say for for babies? And, And do you go with the dirty dozen and the clean 15? Or how does it work for you? I do like the dirty dozen and the clean 15. Absolutely. And, and you will see once you that the same foods keep coming up and coming up on those lists. I think it is important to do organic as much as possible simply because we do know that babies are susceptible to the potential carcinogens and toxins that are in the pesticides. 
uh, and the key organs like the liver and the kidneys that help detoxify those uh, chemicals aren't fully mature. So it does make a difference. Having said that, it's not a reason to avoid fruits and vegetables because they're not organic. I really want to emphasize that. It's super important that we all, including our babies, eat a lot of vegetables, even if they're not organic. But organic is the way to go simply because there do seem to be some effects from those pesticides. Now, what about those cleansers you'll find or the in the produce section? My daughter wanted to buy some apples and have an organic one. She's like, well, what if I buy this stuff you're supposed to clean and spray? Yeah. But I thought, well, doesn't it still soak in? Or what? do you have an opinion on that? I do. In fact, I don't. In the research that I've done, none of those uh, cleansers have been tested on humans. So, in fact, I would really avoid those. I think running water and friction, you know, rubbing your fruit and vegetables under running water is probably your best option for removing as much of the surface toxins as you possibly can. Well, this has been so good, Jill. Your book is wonderful. Again, the best baby food, 125 healthy and delicious recipes for babies and toddlers. So thrilled to have Jill on the program. You can learn more if you go to jillhillhouse.com. You can also follow her on Twitter at Jill Hillhouse. I want to thank everyone for listening to Clean Food Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Your Radio MD and at Health Media Gal One. That's the number one. To hear past shows, go to www.cleanfoodnetwork.com. Take care and stay well. Ooh, 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 ooh.